So episode 41, our first official guest, Graham McDonnell, the global brand and creative director for New York Times, Time Studios. I have been in the past, yeah. Working on clients such as Audi, Shell, Allbirds, Verizon, mm-hmm. the list goes on. Yep. Significant clients, I would I would argue. Uh, yeah, yeah, so it's, it's a nice fee portfolio. Sometimes not the best ones to work on, but... Naming no names. <laughs> yeah, we'll not go down that route. <laughs> so today I think um, it'd be good to pull on some of your experience um, and apply it to what we're seeing today, um, starting with the value of brand building. So obviously with your experience being in creative, big creative pieces, big creative execution, the value that that brings from a exponential standpoint from a long-term standpoint from an evergreen standpoint and how important that is and I think um, realizing the value of that yeah and how brands can become more aware of that because I think sometimes it becomes difficult to explain and it becomes difficult to sell in if you're not in the know yeah yeah I I guess for me it just all boils down to value like what value and what goals do you have as a brand like you've you might have seen recently this sort of trend like we had the the blanding phase where everything was sans serif yeah, and yeah, yeah. like you see a lot of these mattress companies are all look the same and there's a certain amount of shared brand equity you get with that where it's like the, the audience perceives you as trustworthy because that's what they expect a mattress company to look like but now we're seeing a huge kind of reaction to that where it's like the thankfully again we're getting a lot more unique brands having their own true voice Burberry is a good example their mm-hmm. recent rebrand looks nothing like any of the others and it's like having that unique voice helps definitely helps portray your brand in a certain way yeah there was a big movement wasn't there in luxury where they all kind of did the same thing well luxury is a good example but you see in all industries really tech is another one like the Airbnb blandification of brands and there's there's a lot of studies out there actually like interior design they like because of airbnb this kind of you know eco looks kind of interior mm. design like why all interiors are starting to look the same you, you can apply it to all kinds of things really do you think that detracts from the ability to create impact when you're talking about experience uh I guess it all boils down to trust for a particular brand. So it depends on the type of impact you're trying to make. So again, if you're a startup mattress company and you're competing against the likes of Casper and everything else, like by buying into that shared brand equity, you can sort of piggyback on the trust that they've already created. That brand equity already exists and they expect a mattress company to, to be branded in a certain way. Whereas if you're a little bit more established and you sort of, again, it all depends really on what your goals are and, and like your values as a company. Um, Burberry, for instance, again, they, Gucci, that's another another one, they kind of sing by their own hymn sheet really. Mm-hmm. And that plays into their values as a company and what their audience come to expect from them as a result. Yeah, and I guess <clears throat> that sort of leads in to how how to differentiate yourself but also how to then go about 
doing it the right way and what the building blocks of success would look like in that space, yeah. both from a general brand point, but also when you're talking about like campaign execution and things like that. Yeah, is 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 the branding proactive or reactive to what's going on in the industry? Like, are you setting out, we are this kind of brand and this is what we're aiming for and these are what our goals are, so we're going to brand in a certain way, or this is what the industry is demanding of us, or this is what the audience come to expect, so we're going to react to that. And I don't think... It's never one or the other. It's always a, a, a gauge, a spectrum. But I think a lot, if the, a lot of the more successful ones, play both of those sides effectively in certain spaces. Have you got um, a favourite or someone that you think does it well? Favourite brand? Yeah. Um. Uh, God, you put me on the spot now. I don't know. I think Lego is always one well, I go back to. Yeah, Lego's great. And a lot of that is to do with marketing as well as... Mm. And then you can look at all kinds of... It. It's never just one, like, storytelling and everything. But you think of... Um, uh, I've I've, re- I've watched a really interesting video about how Lego actually came to be. Like, they were never... There was another product. I can't remember the name of it. But they were a superior product. And Lego did something to their bricks. And it just the evolution of how they became, like just synonymous with Lego. Mm. You know, you think of Lego as Lego. Um, that was a really, really interesting video. But when it comes to brands, it depends on what you're actually looking at as inspirational. Yeah, I think there's two sides to it, isn't there? I mean, there's design on the face of it, what you see visually. Yeah. But then I think the storytelling side of it. Yeah. Maybe, have you got a favourite or a good example of um, a brand that's, told a specific story or that's developed a story well um well i guess you could look at things like oatly you know they did that some really amazing brand yep. campaigns great example yeah. um did you see that one oh, god this is going to be an awful example now because i can't remember the actual brand but it's like michael jordan eats our cereal and it was that that was uh, i think they call cereal but spelled cereal yeah yeah and it's yeah, like yeah. Like, that's just a campaign. That's not the brand itself that I particularly admire. But everyone's, like, Dove do great campaigns. Yeah. And they're just a shower gel, mm-hmm. you know, or shower wash, whatever, body wash. Like, you can pick out or pinpoint amazing campaigns, but f- I guess those are the sort of, they all add up to what a bra- how what a perception of a brand is Yeah, in a certain way. I think if it's done well, you get to the point at scale, I'm talking, like, big leagues, where... You don't even have to really mention or show the product. Well, it's consistency. Like anyone can have one decent campaign or a couple of, but if you consistently deliver that same brand voice and same, um, just reinforce what what your values are as a brand, that's when you start to get that reputation. And that's all brand is really, is just your reputation. Mm. How do you go about adhering to that though and keeping that consistency? Um. I get it all just boils down to your values as a company. Like a big example would be like um, Innocent Smoothies, yeah. like the way they did it. Ben and Jerry's, like they had they had their brand voice and they were consistent with it all the way through, um, to the point where other brands would emulate that kind of voice. But and and then again, you have got brands like Gucci that have a particular brand voice that wouldn't work for a lot of other fashion brands. So. Uh, yeah, just that c- consistency and just keeping your values front of mind with everything you're putting out. Uh, going back to the example where 
taking luxury as, a, as another category where they all monochromed and went mm. back into like just having no personality. Um, it's it's funny how you can create the brand presence on a colour. Mm. And I think taking a step back into, like, say, going monochrome mm. takes away that opportunity. Because if you look at... Um, I've seen loads of examples online where people almost take colours out of it, like Coca-Cola being one, yeah. of the, one of the biggest ones, where you take away the red yep. and it loses its identity almost. And that move from luxury to go into monochrome. Do you think that just really pulls back on how you can create in general? Well, I think it's fashion more than any is a bit of an outlier because if you have a dominant colour as a brand, fashion brand, that's kind of very different for like a tech company, like Facebook's blue, YouTube's yeah. red, you know, um, Flaunt is purple, kind of it's very different in terms of like as a fashion brand. Um I do wonder, I can't think off the top of my head, any fashion brand really that's got a dominant colour as part of their brand. Yeah, the only one that comes to mind, but it doesn't apply. It's like Supreme came straight to mind. Yeah. But that's just the branding, the products don't reflect that. Exactly, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it, I think it definitely played into that trend of blandification. Again, luxury weren't the only industry that did it. Tech yeah, was one tech of the other ones. Too, like yeah. you think of like Facebook or Airbnb, like all their old logos were full of personality and individual, and then they all kind of the sans serif. There's arguments for it, you know, like um, how the clarification on devices or like readability and simplicity, and everyone's kind of emulated Apple, who I guess were the OGs of that kind of yeah. um, how to do it and do it well. Um, but yeah, I n now I think we will see. Well, it's already started a huge shift into this, much more unique and seeing that personality come through. And do you think that'll bleed into the executions when it comes to campaign-led marketing? Hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've seen it. Like when you're looking at those campaign-led marketing, you want if you're going to drive conversation and you're going to make it sort of worth discussing it can't be bland like it can't be boring or anything like that like there has to be something that's worth noticing mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so if you're attempting if if it's just blending into everything else that's that's already out there and you're just becoming noise rather than signal you're not really uh succeeding in that sense yeah yeah that's true i guess how do we how do we go about, um, let's say, moving into something that's a little bit more real life, like an immersive campaign or an experiential campaign? Mm. How do you go about carrying over brand experience into those kind of situations? Well, again, for me, and I approach this, whether it's experiential, whether it's online, so anything, what is the goal of it? Like, is it, brand awareness are you purely just you know trying to get awareness of your brand out there is it shifting perception are you trying to deliver a particular message like i think the danger for a lot of these uh, experiential kind of immersive in-person executions these days is 
they're ticking the box of it being an Instagrammable moment. You know, like it's, yeah, we've made it look cool. People are going to want to take a selfie and put it on their Instagram. And that's great for brand awareness. Like if that's purely what it is, then great. If you're trying to deliver a message or shift perception of a brand in a certain way, that's not enough. That's the minimum. So there needs to be, you need to bring that additional uh, collateral to the, to the, it's no, it's no good just putting up fancy lights and thinking yeah. I've ticked the box here, you know. Do you think that um, immersive provides an opportunity for longevity, though, with them being almost pop-up in nature? Well, this was the the argument, wasn't it? So there was, a, there was an experiential campaign by Pepsi years ago where, and I actually borrowed a little bit of an idea for this, but they, they put a camera on one side of a bus stop and then put the screen, live streamed it to the other side of the bus stop so it looked transparent, but then overlaid all these graphics on it. So they had like sewer monsters coming up and grabbing people or UFOs coming in. So people were like looking around the bus stop and it was uh, a campaign. And it, it was, you can argue like maybe a couple of hundred people saw that that day, but the real value comes in the, the brand awareness, like how many people saw the video of it. Yep. Like when you think of any successful experiential execution, how many have you seen in, pe- in person? 100%. Probably, yeah. yeah see, so the value of experiential isn't purely for the people that experience it. It's the wider context and the awareness you get as, as a result. And if you, let's say, for in a, in a crazy world, you take social out of it, take mm-hmm. all the social platforms out, TikTok, Snapchat, Facebook, whatever, Insta, mm-hmm. do you think that the penetration of an experiential campaign would exist in the same way? Depends on the audience. That's a big thing. We did a, a big project in partnership with Verizon, uh, with the New York Times a couple of years ago. They were helping embed 5G into schools in the United States for free. And they were trying to communicate the message of like, if we empower the students in the schools, like as a result, we'll get, you know, the, the kids will be better educated and we'll get ideas. So they're kind of powering the ideas of children throughout the States. Now, the target or this was positioned at one of our times talks around education so we had chief education ministers there like the the people that were there and sort of targeted in in, in that sense were very um specific to the content that we were mm. um creating the, the the experience we wanted them so Yes, we might have only targeted a couple of hundred people there, but they were the right kind of people that we yeah. wanted to. It w- we couldn't put it up in the Trafford Centre and expected the same results, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess it, com- it comes down to the outcome, doesn't it? I'm just playing devil's advocate with the yeah. social because that's discovery, isn't it, for yeah, 90% of the population, I guess? Yeah, it, d- it depends. Yeah, what what is it? Who is it you want to experience this? Like, you, you like I say, you wouldn't have put it on social it actually didn't, we did a case study video that, you know, I'm pretty sure nobody ever saw, but it didn't matter because it was actually the, the target audience were in there experiencing it for, for real. Mm. Yeah, it's tough to, tough to call, isn't it, with that? Um, one final thought from me and then one final question that I would like to okay. get your opinion on. Obviously, everybody in the world, I think, unless you're, of a certain age or hidden under a rock is talking about AI. Yeah. I think um, creative is starting to come into question with deep fakes, with 
mm. generative imagery, all this kind of stuff. As a creative, how do you feel about the progress that's being made and the speed in which it's happening in terms of mm. copyright and creative license and brands starting to sort of dip their toe in the water? Yeah, it's... I don't think anyone's got the answers right now. Like, everyone's claim all the all the previous NFT experts from last year and now, <laughs> you know, AI experts. Which is, you know, it's just... And you can't... Re- in the amount of times I've seen that thing, like, AI isn't going to take your job. People who use AI are going to take your job. And it's like, right, okay, calm down. It's true to an extent. Like, what you've got to remember is these aren't generating these images out of nowhere. Like, they're taken from sample sets. So there's only, if, if you're using a certain sample set, the AI is only, it's going to have a certain look and feel. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like saying um, we've got cameras on phones and Instagram, so it's going to put photographers out of business. Never happened because people got used to what Instagram filters look like and there was a backlash against that. I, I, I predict, again, this is just my prediction, but people are going to become very aware about what an AI-generated image or article looks and sounds like and then there's going to be backlash against that because it's going to look and sound and feel like every other image so the true value like we said a minute ago which kind of comes full circle is the unique personality and and voice of that Um, what it is going to do is force a lot of brands to start being more um, unique and be more specific um, just in order to stand out from everything else yeah, so trying to go above what's capable via AI. Yeah, and, and absolutely no doubt it's going to have a massive impact on the industry. Like, I was very skeptical of the metaverse and NFTs. Like, I just couldn't see where the value would come from. And, it, you know, the jury's still out. I'm not saying it's it's dead completely, but with AI, I think it's a lot clearer where the value is going to come in, those lower um, or the more kind of broader um, applications of it. Um, I think we're just scratching the surface. Like, it's very easy to say, you know, it's not there yet, and it isn't, but we're right at the beginning. What's it going to be? Think of where it's coming in the last year, yep. where we're going to be in five years. Yep, 100%. Well, they're saying GPT-4s, I think something like four or five points IQ-wise below Einstein. Yeah, well, yeah. But that what's that based from? Do you know, and, and, and like I say, with the generative imagery, it's all based off a sample set. So unless new people are creating new things, it's all going to be generated off the same stuff. So it's all going to start to look the same. Mm. And you might think that that pulls wide, that it can look different enough. But I think it's very uh, ballsy prediction to say that, you know, designers and writers are not going to be needed anymore. 100%. <laughs> Hundred percent. It's so, maybe that's just maybe self sort of present preservated. <laughs> like, please give me a job. <laughs> no, I agree. I think it's you've you've got to take into account that there's no soul behind it. So when it comes to emotion and creative, which mm. I think emotion is a huge part, isn't it? In creative, it might be enough. Like, if you need an image for your blog, and you're like, right, taking copyright out of it, because I think that's a huge hurdle that everybody needs yeah. to solve. I don't know how they're going to police that. Like, you know, Adobe sample their own stock library, so maybe Firefly, I don't know, like that might have a 
heads up. But it might do the job. But then that's all like same way that an iPhone might do the job. But would you ever shoot your wedding on an iPhone? Probably not. But then the iPhone's getting better. So like, you know, it's, it's sort of chicken and egg. Um, I think there's always going to be a space for... I'm pretty sure, you know, how many times have we heard the death of vinyl and it's gone from strength yeah. to strength? That's my... That's not me saying that designers and writers are going to be like an archaic format that is used for retro, <laughs> no. But who knows? I think the same thing applies with content, though, doesn't it? It's going to get to a point where AI is capable of delivering the content, but everybody will be doing the same mm. thing to the point where it becomes recognisable. Yeah, it's th- it's it's going to add. The world is already diluted with so much content, and it's like we were just talking earlier about. People say, oh, attention spans are getting lower. It's not true. Consideration spans are getting lower. Like, we're getting very, very good at quickly evaluating whether we want to consume something or not. Mm-hmm. And I think what AI will do will dilute that even further so that when we do see something unique or something that's written in a certain way or something that looks visually different from, it's going to trigger that instinct in our bodies that's going to be like, I want to consume this more. Or it might have the opposite, you know. It's like, yeah. let's get. Uh, I, I want to consume that less because it's not familiar for what I'm used to. The media always comes into my mind. Like the media are so bullish, aren't they, about ridiculous headlines? And yeah. If people get used to this sort of flood of AI generated content, they'll just turn off to anything that's supposed to grab their attention. Well, the difficulty comes is we already know that algorithms dictate the content that we're exposed to. Yep. Now, if algorithms are the ones creating that content, we've got algorithms making things for the purpose of algorithms. A good example is like job hunting. So already, if 2,000 people apply for a job, you can't look at all those CBs. So you have AI or an algorithm like filter it for you. What if AIs write in those CVs? You've got something that's been generated so that something's been filtered by something else at what point do we lose that's matter and that's what <laughs> I mean so all of a sudden like where does the human come into it <laughs> like yeah. endless you've got algorithms generating things to be appraised by algorithms which is essentially what's already happening in terms of news a lot of like headlines and stuff like best practices are being followed, written in a certain way that are we know perform better in terms of search, in terms of engagement. So at what point are we going to see the Burberry backlash to where it's like, I don't want stuff that's written like that. I want something that's written, you know, that that says something new or says something unique. The vinyl example is a good way of summarizing it, isn't it? It's going to come to a point where it's almost going to become novel when you have like a book authored by a human. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, again, it's just weird. What is the value in it for me as a consumer? I think that's the big thing. And it's an answer, like, algorithms and, and AI are so quick to say, well, we're bringing um, answers, but are they? Like, are you are you answering my need for news or art or anything else? I think in the best way they know how, but I think it lacks the human. Yeah. They know, they know generally how, but how specific can you get with that, you know? 
I feel like we could go on to. Yeah, the, this is getting a bit deep now. We need like different. a, yeah, we need like a, a whiskey in the <laughs> two a.m. <laughs> yeah, I feel like it could go on that long. Well, I think um, I just want to say thank you for coming on. Thank you for being the the first Thanks official guest. Um, I'm honoured. Yeah. <laughs>